with us and you've uh, sent your spirit to be in us. And Lord, we want to follow you. We're not good at following you, but we want to follow you. We want to glorify you. And as we open up your word and hear what, uh, hear what you have to say to us, we want to receive what you have for us. So I pray that you would open up our hearts, uh, open up our ears, and um, make us teachable in this time. Would you please speak through me and, um, and use this time for your glory and your purposes. In Jesus' name, amen. How are you guys doing? Good. I'm doing good. Thank you. My name is Ryan McCarthy, and I'm the Life Stage 1 pastor here. I am, this is a privilege to be here. I, I, as I was preparing this, I was reminded of a story, something that happened to me a few years ago when I was in college. So I was like maybe five years ago. Um, not really. <laughs> that was funny. Um, I was a junior or senior. It was the summer. My girlfriend was Kristen. She had an internship in Dallas. I was at TCU. We were both at TCU, but she had an internship in Dallas. And um, I decided to meet her for lunch. And it was like an early lunch. I drove out to Dallas. And this is back in the... Well, anyway, I'm, I, I go out to meet her. I'm about to make an old joke. Like, but I already did that. Okay, so I go out to meet her. And we went to this little Italian restaurant. I wish I remembered what it was, but it was 11.30-ish, and it was, it was a cool, you know, hip little restaurant, but nobody was there yet because we beat the lunch crowd. So I sit down at this table. Kristen, Kristen is sitting across from me, and I have a view of the restaurant because men want to guard the cave, you know, like they want to see who's coming in and out. And so I'm, I'm sitting there watching, you know, Kristen, and I'm, there's a, bartend, a bartender, and that was and maybe a couple waiters, and that's about it. As we're talking, I'm hearing about her day. This couple walks in, and they were, like, really good looking, all right? Like, this guy was, he had these, like, curly blonde locks, you know, and real strong, and she was just gorgeous, and they both came walking in, and this guy was like, hey, Stan, you know, walking his, I, I don't remember the name, obviously, but he, sit, he sits her down, and, and as he's pulling out her chair, he sits down, and, and he goes, he made that face. He was like, to her. I thought, that's kind of strange. Kristen's talking to me this whole time, and I'm watching. <laughs> and, and so, like, you know, if Kristen's here, they are sitting back there, about, I would say, where you in the blue shirt, about that distance, okay? So here's Kristen, and, and I'm, I'm pretending I'm listening, which guys do a great job at. So Kristen's talking, I'm watching them, they are both kind of facing, you know, sitting next to each other in a circle table, you know, and as they're talking, oh yeah, I'll take that. What was that? So he keeps on going, and he does it a couple more times, and, and I'm, I'm just baffled. Then at one point, now let's say you are me, he's talking, and he goes, <laughs> right in my face. He just gives me the teeth, like, and I was like, huh. And Kristen's talking, and she goes, are you listening? I go, no, I'm not. And I can't explain why to her without giving these teeth and mocking this person. Um, Okay, so we, you know, later I explained what's going on, and she understood. Um, 
But it sort of started a little game that I think I invented, but it's, it, it's existed, is perfect in every way, but. Would you date someone who is perfect in every way, but, you know, he's always making these teeth gestures, all right? I think I invented it. But it's, have you ever played that game? Like, would you date someone who's like perfect in every way, but they're always karate chopping you with their left hands, you know? Uh, you know, would you date someone who's perfect in every way, but they are always laughing at the wrong times? Or I, my favorite, perfect in every way, but perpetually sarcastic in tone. Not in meaning, but in tone. So you know that they're serious. But like, you're having a good time. Oh, the best. <laughs> you know. <laughs> hey, Karen, meet my mom. Oh, it's great to meet you. <laughs> What? What's the problem? What's wrong? What do you ever, what's the problem with me? Oh, no, I'm serious. I'm really happy to meet you. <laughs> Could you date someone perfect? I mean, this person, like, you know, feeds the children and, you know, is, like, perfect in every way, but is perpetually sarcastic. <laughs> you know, it's a good, it's a good, it's a fun game. If you've never tried it, it's a, it's a great conversation starter. Okay, <laughs> perfect in every way, but conversation tone is always at a yell. Just, I could do this all day. Okay. I'm serious about this. I had a friend who, uh, around, you know, 2002, 2003, he said he would never date someone who didn't like the Royal Tenenbaums. You know the movie? Okay. Now, he was in the film, that was his major, and he could never love someone who didn't really liked the movie Royal Tenenbaums. And that guy's probably still single. Um, but here's the thing I think is interesting is I think he's kind of onto something. I, not about the Royal Tenenbaums, but the, but the fact is he was deeply passionate about certain things and he found those, he, was, he delighted in this movie for, you know, it was decent, I guess, but he, he wanted to be able to resonate with someone on the things he was most deeply passionate about. He wanted to be able to get together with that person and enjoy the same things. Now, maybe his value system was a little skewed, but I think there's something to that. That when you are with someone, when you are dating someone, or you're just in a close relationship, you want to enjoy, you want to delight in the same things. Now, are you perfect in every way, but do you delight in the same things that God delights in? See, we're not in a dating relationship with God, but we're in something much more profound, in a relationship with God. But do we delight in the same thing that God delights in? And there's a number of things that God delights in, but there's something specific I, I want to see here. There's a, it's a vital sign of our spiritual health is, are we delighting in something that God delights in? So I wanted to identify what this vital sign is and describe what it means for our spiritual health. And then I'm going to like send us out with some just application. Like, what, what do we do with that? So what does God delight in? Ephesians chapter 5. Let's see if this works. Whoops. Here. Go to Ephesians slide if you would. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, it's not about husbands loving your wives in this particular context. I want to focus on as Christ loved the church 
and gave himself up for her. There's a million passages I can go to, but here it's clear as, clear as day. Christ loves his church, the church. He loves the bride. He loves, he loves believers, people who love him. Now, to take that a step further, if, if, if we belong to Christ, if we're spiritually healthy, then we will delight in his delight, namely the people of God. And it's, there's no clearer text than this. 1 John 3, verse 14, John says, We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers, or love the brothers that love the church. And one last one, this is not just New Testament stuff. David uh, I'm drunk, I'm sorry, here. Uh, there we go. King, King David said, As for the saints who are in the earth, they are the majestic ones in whom is all my delight. As for the saints who are in all the earth, he delights in the saints. Now, I don't naturally think of myself as a saint, but if you are a believer in Christ, you are a saint. 1 Corinthians uh, 1, verse 2, Paul says... Uh, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who are in every place, who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He calls the Corinthians saints. But then if you go on and read the rest of the book, the stuff that they're struggling with in Corinth, it's like division, there's all sorts of pride, there's sexual immorality, there's a guy sleeping with his dad's wife. I mean, there's all sorts of sin going on in Corinth, and yet Paul calls them saints. Saints means set-apart ones, that people who are set apart because they love Jesus Christ. But just because you love Jesus Christ doesn't mean you are not going to struggle with sin, because you are going to struggle with sin. And saints are people who sincerely love Jesus Christ, but they are all over the map in their sanctification. I mean, you look at some people and they're struggling really like with, with the kinds of things you wouldn't associate with a Christian struggling with, but you don't know what they were saved from. There's other people who are very moral and very spiritual, but they could have been raised in squeaky clean environments and they're very moralistic, but they don't love Jesus. You can't really measure someone's saintliness by their behavior. Their being a saint is identified by who they love who they trust in, where they place their faith. So a saint is a person who loves Jesus Christ. And Paul, I mean, uh, David says, as for the saints who are on the earth, they are the majestic ones in whom is all my delight. David delights in the saints. He calls them majestic ones. Now, I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, hello, majestic one. Just, hello, majestic one person is a majestic one. Now I want you to, now just gently touch their face. No. <laughs> like in Ghost. Um, all right. All right. That's, that's the vital sign of, of, of spiritual health here, is do you delight in the church? And I don't delight in this clicker. It's, uh, uh, whatever. Okay. Do you delight, I'm really asking this, do you delight in the people of God? Do you delight in the church? Not do you delight in going to church, but do you delight in being around people who you know love Christ? 
what does that mean? What does that really look like? I'm going to tell you just from my... <laughs> hey, who spoke, who, spoke, who spoke tonight? Oh, Mr. Bean spoke. Um, okay. I really, I'm not drunk, okay? I, I was joking earlier. Okay. From my personal experience, delighting in the church is a very distinct thing. Because back in 1992, I, was, I became a Christian in December of 1992. And before that, I was, I was a devout atheist. I hated Christians. I really did. I, and, and it was for all the wrong reasons, but I had a chip on my shoulder. I thought they were idiots. I thought they were judgmental. I, res- you know, I just thought I was better. And I avoided Christians because I thought that they just wanted to convert me. And I thought they were cheap. All these things, Okay. And I, um, not, without getting into the psychology of it, it was all for the wrong reasons, honestly. Because I knew these people could see right through me and all that. I became a Christian December of 1992. It was a road to Damascus style conversion. Like I was, you know, Paul was on the way to Damascus to kill Christians when Jesus shows up, blinds him and takes him out. And it's like flipping on a light switch. He became a Christian right there. And I became a Christian on a bad mushroom trip. Literally, I was on drugs the night I became a Christian, but I felt like I was going to hell. God rescued me. And that's a long story. But it was one of those moments where he flipped the light switch on in my life. And I needed him. And I loved him. My heart wasn't completely changed. But I went from, you know, I, don't, I, know, I wish I knew the date, but let's say it was December 15th. December 15th, that morning, I hated Christians. The morning of December 16th, I loved them. I suddenly went from being suspicious to curious about them. I would go to a restaurant and I would overhear people talking about Jesus. And my ears would perk up. That's a brother. That's a sister of mine. Because God, who was formerly my judge, my enemy, suddenly became my savior and my father. And now as my father, these people were my brothers and sisters. They knew the same God. I was initiated into the same wonderful club, but isn't initiated into a family, adopted into a family. All of the sudden, these people became my brothers and sisters. Granted, I was still a little suspicious because that was around the same time David Koresh and the Branch Davidians, that cult was going on, and I wasn't sure which ones were cult members and which ones were Christians and which ones were weird. I mean, I was still a little iffy, but I was profoundly curious about them. And I wanted to talk. I wanted to fellowship. I wanted to know them and then to know me and to talk about God. That was a light switch experience for me. I went from really disliking Christians, to delighting in them. And I think that's what it looks like. And it goes on to this day, personally. I, I, a 24-hour fitness, that's where I put, dropped off Lincoln and Charlie at the little kids' club. I go and work out, do my, uh, my CrossFit and all that. Uh, I have no idea what CrossFit is. I go down and I pick up Lincoln and Charlie, and they're playing this movie called The Princess and the Frog, in, and, and I'd never really seen it, but it's like in New Orleans, kind of Disney cartoon style. And the, the, the girl who's working there goes, man, this is kind of a creepy show. It's got, got this voodoo guy, and he's like kind of a scary bad guy. And I'm like, interesting, is this girl a Christian? 
I'm suddenly wondering, she thinks voodoo is creepy. If she's not, maybe, and I'm, I'm immediately, I'm pulling a Ryan Christian here. You know, uh, Ryan Christian can take somebody to Jesus in like three steps anytime. And I'm, I'm sitting here wondering, is this girl a sister in Christ? And I found out she was. And, and it's one of those things where there's something in you that you want to connect with other believers. And it's not something that you have to force. This is where it's a vital sign here, is do you have to kind of, you know, do you have to kind of drag yourself to church or to drag yourself into fellowship with people? Or do you feel kind of a little drawn to, to be with them? Do you, do, is there a radar kind of wondering, are they believers or are they not? Or could they be? That's, it's, it's a willing delight. It's, the primary motivation for, for grow, growing Christians is want, it's not ought. It's want, not ought. Delight in the church is inborn in those who are born again. That is a vital sign of your spiritual health. Do you delight in the bride? Now, why? Why should you delight in the bride of Christ, in the, in the church? The answer is simple. Because the real presence of God himself is living inside believers. I mean, Ephesians 2, 22, in him you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Or more famously, uh, you're, you're, the, you're a temple, you're God's temple, and God's Spirit dwells in you, 1 Corinthians 3. God's Spirit dwells in you. The real presence of God is, if you trust in Christ, the real presence of God is in you and is in the church and in fellow believers, and if you love Christ, then you sense Christ in these other people. The, relationally speaking, this changes everything. It, it really changes everything. This is, this is my favorite verse for this. 2 Corinthians 2, verses 15 and 16. Paul says, For we, speaking of the church, for we are the aroma of Christ to, to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? Okay, so do you catch that? Like, we, there's an aroma. As the church, we smell like Christ. That's kind of strange, but think about it. We smell, God smells Christ in us. He sees Christ in us, but people who can't even see Christ in you, they smell the aroma of Christ. And what's really interesting is, he says, who's sufficient for these things? You're like, what is he talking about? What is he, what, he's talking about who can evoke such a strong reaction from people, such a polarizing re- reaction from people, as those who smell like Christ. Because either people are going to respond to you by smelling the fragrance of life, like, they smell their Savior in you. And I take great encouragement in the way that's worded, because he says, um, among those who are being saved, meaning, I could be talking with a non-Christian, and if I'm talking with them about Christ, uh, they, might, they might ask more questions and seem intrigued, and I can sense that they're smelling life, even if they haven't technically placed their faith in Christ. I take that as they like the scent of Christ. They want more. But there's the other, that we're the stench of death. We smell 
like Christ, to non-believers. And the reason it's the stench of death to them is because they don't smell their Savior. They smell their judge. We smell like their judge. And so when someone is not, when there's a hostility and there's a rejection, people will respond to you often with hatred. That's why Jesus says in John 15, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. So here's the question before I ask, what do you delight in? How do you smell? You know, take that beyond the face value, obviously. How, how do you smell to people around you? Do they smell the fragrance of Christ? Are there people who dislike you because you're a Christian? That's a good sign. It could be a sign that you're a jerk, but it could be a sign that you're genuinely, you smell like Christ. But if you also have people who are kind of attracted to you because you smell like Christ, it's because it might be that Christ is drawing them to themselves. And even in believers around you, you that smell of Christ, it should draw people to you. This, this fragrance, I'm going to break it down more than just the ambiguous, you have Christ in you. That, that smell that's, that's good to, to believers, I think it's the fragrance of grace. Like, grace is what smells good to people. And, and what I mean is, when there's a culture of grace in the church, it means that there's people who have trusted Christ and they don't think of themselves as law keepers. They realize they are law breakers. Like, if I know, well, take the Pharisees. The Pharisees thought of themselves as law keepers. They kept the law of God. They thought of themselves as being really good. And they thought of themselves as being worthy of God's favor and of salvation. So because they were law keepers, they, their habits were to judge other people, to be holier than thou, to heap burdens on other people of law. Law keepers tend to give people law. If you are a law keeper, other people feel like they can never measure up to you. You have to kind of put other people down because you measure your worth by how well you're keeping the law. And even if you're a law keeper, you could be having some really bad days, and a law keeper will just get down on themselves for being a law breaker, but there's no grace to lift them up. But a person who has the aroma of Christ in them, Christ, is he forgives sinners. And he's the only one who ever kept the law. And you, you, you realize that on my best day, I've got nothing before Christ. I've got nothing. I've got no resume to, to flash before God. All I have is a resume of law breaking. And on my best days, I still, if I'm in Christ, it's grace. I'm a lawbreaker and I need grace. And people who receive grace give grace. They're humble. They're not about proving their worthiness. They're quick to confess sins. They're quick to apologize when they're wrong. They're quick to apologize even when they're not wrong. They're just humble. And humble people are wonderful to be around. The, the, the church smells really good when it's a culture of grace. Now, when I ask, do you delight in the church, there's some qualifications to that. Because if you find yourself that you're not really delighting in the church, it could be because the culture isn't quite as gracious. Is I have three reasons why you might not delight in the people of God. 
The first one might be the stink of Christians' sins overshadow the fragrance of Christ. It could be the sins all the way from the immorality sins. You know, these people really aren't following Christ. They're just getting drunk and doing drive-by shootings. You know, um, hopefully not. But it's the immorality kind of things over here. And then on the other side, it could be, and I think more commonly, the stink of self-righteousness. That these people don't really smell good because they're so high on themselves. And, and I don't smell Christ through the self-righteousness. That could be, if you're not delighting in the church, it maybe is the sin that you're, that you're smelling. But when people start saying, I, you know, well, I, I'm, I'm suspicious often because rarely is it everybody that's like that. You meet people who their sin doesn't outweigh the fragrance. They're humble about their sin. And uh, it could be that maybe you're falling more in love with the things of this world. As a believer, you're falling more in love with the things of this world. And when you're around Christians, you start to feel threatened. Like if you're not delighting in the church, it could be because you realize these people could call you out. You know, whenever I'm struggling with sin and I'm starting to love it, I draw away. I I pull back, partly because of shame and guilt, partly because I don't want to let go of the things that I know I'd have to let go of in order to have fellowship. 1 John 1 says, If we claim we have fellowship with God and yet walk in the darkness, we lie, we deceive ourselves, the truth is not in us. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Meaning, if we are walking in darkness, we're hiding our sin and we don't experience fellowship. And the more we hide hide our sin, the stronger our sin gets, the more we're drawn to our sin and away from fellowship. And all you have to, the best illustration that I think most of us have probably experienced is you start dating someone and it starts getting physical. What's the first thing you want to do? You want to start drawing away. You know, let's, 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 go, let's go back to my place and watch C-SPAN, you know? Something boring. <laughs> I tried that, you know, my day. No. Um, I, I try that as a married man now, right? Um, you, you, you start become a schemer, you know? And you, you draw away from fellowship because these people can call you out. Their light shines into your darkness and it's uncomfortable. So if you're not delighting in the church, it might be because of the church's sin or it might be because of your sin. There's a third reason. And I'm always suspicious when I hear people saying, I like, I like Christ, but I don't like Christians. Or I, I love God, but I don't really like going to church. Because they're so judgmental. You know what I think that is often? I'm not going to say every time, but I often think that's because they smell their judge. Not because you're being judgmental. They smell their judge in you. They feel judged because... They're hiding from their judge. Have you ever been called judgmental when you had no feelings of judgment toward them? That, to me, it might be some judgment, judgmentalness in us that we don't recognize, but if, if you don't delight in the church and you feel like there's, they're judgmental, it might be because you don't know Christ. There's a lot of motives to come, and there's a lot of ways to feel good about yourself through going to church, But at the end of the day, what makes delighting in the church, what's the content of it, is because you delight in Christ. That's at the heart of delighting in the bride. It's not just about delighting 
in Christ, you find yourself delighting in God's people. It's you also find yourself delighting in what God is doing through his people. Because God is not keeping you in this world so that you can earn money, so that you can get jobs, so you can have, you know, you can get married. It's not so that you can start a family. He is keeping you here because he, his desire is to build up his church. He says, husband, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, that he might purify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. God's purpose is to build up his church, to, to, to make his church holy, to make his church look and smell more and more like Christ. And his purpose for you is to grow his kingdom and to bless his church, and to build one another up, and to enjoy being built up by one another, and by confessing your sins to one another, and by praying for each other, and by serving one another, all the one another's. It's, and as you do that, you find yourself, this thing builds momentum, and you delight more and more. Okay, so there's the vital sign. Do you delight in the bride? I want to just give you a couple application points, how to take this home. What do you do with this? Well, one, I would say, honestly assess your attitude toward the bride. Honestly assess yourself in your attitude toward the church. Do you delight willingly? Or is it something that you kind of have to force? If you have to force it, understandable, that might be for a season. But did my, did my story of like, finding myself suddenly kind of drawn, does that sound familiar? Even it could be in your memory. That's, that is an honest assessment that you and it's between you and God. But is this merely a social thing, even just like coming to renovate? Is it merely a social thing? Are you coming for the opposite sex? I mean, that's a great, great motive. <laughs> yeah, I mean, great meaning big. Um, but it's, it's a real thing you have to kind of like just honestly assess for yourself. And it, you know what? You're going to find mixed motives. But do you, del- do you delight willingly in the bride? Okay, a second thing. If you delight in the church, do your priorities reflect it? Does your schedule ref- reflect a priority for worshiping in community and for fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ? Or do you do the thing where you're kind of like dating the church, you know, where you're... You, 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 you'll do an event, you know, you'll have your small group unless something else comes up. Or you kind of, you, you keep your schedule kind of loosely tied to fellowship and worship. But if something else comes along that's a little better, then you'll, you'll go and do that. Do your priorities reflect a delight in the church? If it doesn't, and you really do delight in the church, then Make a commitment to being in fellowship, to, being, to knowing and being known by one another. Do you know fellow believers and do they really know you? Do you find yourself actually confessing dark secrets to somebody that you love in the church? You know, the things that you're ashamed of. That's one place you'll find delight if you use some wisdom, if you don't go and like advertise it to everybody in the church, but like if you if you draw close to somebody and start opening up about the things that weigh you down, you'll find that there is so much to delight in. 
Because these people who have tasted grace will remind you of the grace that is yours already in Christ. I want to encourage you to set your priorities according to what you delight in or according to what you want to delight in. And last, how are you building up the church? Are you serving? Are you, are you checking your own fragrance, in a sense? Because if you are allowing your testimony to, if you're a jerk, you know, who doesn't, you know, tips the waiter like, you know, two quarters and, and gives people the finger on the road as you're driving and stuff, and then you go and you pull into church, you're like, you're not doing a service to the fragrance of Christ. It, check your witness and serve and build into the church. Those, there's a lot of applications. But at the end of the day, not only am I calling you to delight in the church uh, through Christ, but I, I want you to be part of what makes the church delightful. I want, I want to be part of what makes the church delightful. This is a community of grace because Christ is a Savior who gives grace. You know, I, I, there's, that's three different applications. Take one of them. Honestly assess yourself. Let your schedule reflect the priorities of delighting in the church and, and start serving and building up the church. That's, that's my call. I hope that's clear. Let me pray and, and we'll continue worshiping. Father, um, I thank you that you have sent Christ to make the way of salvation and you've given us the Holy Spirit to open our eyes and to receive Christ and you indwell in us and now, Lord, you've, you've kept us here so that we could be in this community of believers, of brothers and sisters in Christ, that we're your bride. There's so many wonderful things about what it means that we are in the church and, Lord, I pray that as we delight in you, you would increase our delight in one another and may we be delightful. May we be following you so that we remind other people of Christ and may you just make the fragrance of Christ so strong in your church, but specifically, I pray that you'd make the fragrance of Christ strong here at Renovate. We want to be a community of grace. We've got nothing to show, nothing to advertise. We are a bunch of awkward sinners who our profession is wandering from you. That's what we do best. But you are a great Savior and you come and rescue us over and over. May we make much of you in the way that we become a community of grace. And would you just bless us by making us delightful and helping us to delight in the church. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.